Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network MJ in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce And we have the author of the handler here, and W.P. Woodward is. This is this book is fantastic. Meredith Marsdale is a case officer and a damn good one. Even if this is the last mission, did go terribly wrong. Expected to be fired, she is met by the deputy director with stunning news, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Good morning, and how are you? Welcome to MJ Network. Oh. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, this this book was sent to me. They just sent it. They didn't tell me they were sending it, and I was really glad they did, because this is one of my favorites for the year. So that that first scene really got me. How did you create the first scene and why? And how does that set the tone for what else happened? I always felt so bad for the for that poor mother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well thank you, and, and it's great to be on. I appreciate it. The, the first scene is um, the prologue of the book would set things in motion. And um, the genesis of it is a real-world event. Uh, I think it was on January 8th, um, 2020, uh, the Iranians shot down by mistake a, uh, mm-hmm. a peaceful airliner. It happened to be a Ukrainian airliner. And it was filled with um, Iranian college kids going back to, uh, to school in Canada. And they happened to be flying Ukraine Airways because they were going to connect through Kiev. But the Iranians shot it down because they thought it was an American missile attack, mistakenly. And so when that happened, I I thought kind of deeply about mm. how the families of of the people that that had, you know suffered such mm. a tragedy would feel. And I wondered, like, well, what if what if someone was related? You know, what if one of the kids killed had a father or something mm. like that that was in the Iranian mm. um, establishment? And you know, how how would that affect him? And that was really really the idea behind it. That was really so scary. I felt so bad for that poor girl, even though the mother wasn't crazy about the boyfriend. But what can you do? So yeah, exactly. You know, this is like it was the second or third book before the Ukraine happened, which is criminal in itself. Well, how did you know to target the Ukraine? And tell us about Zana and Nadia. I like Zana. He's got guts. Yeah, I wouldn't say so much that I targeted Ukraine. I mean, it did happen to be a Ukrainian airliner, yeah. but that is more coincidence than anything else. Yeah, what I was really targeting was the, um, how should I put this, the, the shadow war that's been going on between Iran and the U.S. Um, mm. for quite some time, and the way that, that the Russians tend to meddle in that. Um, and so... That, that was what I was thinking about. And as far as the Iranian characters go, 
Um, I, I think you're asking about Zana and Nadia, the, the Iranian yeah. parents. Um, I, I, I wanted to have people who were sort of um, middle-aged that had experienced enough of life to know what was valuable and also to have a sense of what was nonsense and to have a good sense of right and wrong and to really kind of question, you know, what they were doing and what, and what the Iranian regime was doing. So, so I, I created the, this, this scientist um, who, had, who, had been, mm. who has been spying for the CIA because he doesn't mm. like the Iranian regime. And I wanted to show that he's a guy with a normal life, just like you or I would have with, you know, a spouse mm. and a child. And so when he loses that child, he decides it's finally time to, to act. I don't blame him. He was brave to do that. Now, one of my favorite characters, seriously, I like John. And I really like John a lot, <laughs> but I like Meredith, too. So how did you connect John Dale with Zana, and why did Zana need him? And he sort of, like, you know, gave an ultimatum, I'm not going to do this unless you do this. Yeah, um, I was um, – one of the themes in the book, and I think in espionage in general, is the theme around trust. And whenever mm-hmm. there's someone who is um, an agent – that is being run by a, a case officer, a handler, that, that agent has put his life in that case officer handler's hands. And mm-hmm. there's sort of a, there's two, there's a two-way trust thing happening there where the case officer has to trust what the agent is doing or expose, you know, some operation. But the agent really has to trust the case officer that he's not going get, to get caught. And so I wanted um, John... Dale to be the kind of guy that an agent would be drawn to, that he would think was a genuine guy that he could trust. And, and so that when that agent, um, Zana, finally decides, I want to get out of here, I'm out, he, he really only wants to work with the original guy that recruited him who, would, who, he, would, who he would trust because he observed him in action. And, and Zana has additional leverage because he can basically say to the CIA, look, if you don't give me that guy, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop spying here or I'm going to expose your network. I'm going to make things tough on you. And there's not much mm-hmm. you can do about it. And that's, and that's what really made the CIA have to go get Meredith and recruit John, who is her, of course, her ex-husband. I like John, but he's really careful. Even though he gets blindsided a couple of times, but he's he's really careful. Now, Meredith is my other favorite character. She's got guts too. I like her. So tell us about her, and she had to be involved. Why is she now the handler, and what exactly is her role? And then we're going to get to somebody that, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, with Meredith, I wanted to portray a strong career woman. Um, I've worked with many of my life, both uh, in mm-hmm. the government as well as in private industry. And I've always found um, women like that to be super impressive because they're managing typically a pretty complicated um, personal life, often often doing more of the share of family jobs than, than, than the man. And they are also dealing with a lot of, um, especially in a place like the CIA, a lot of uh, male egos. And so I, that, I wanted to kind of showcase that with, um, with Meredith. And um, also I wanted to show that Meredith really wanted 
she has a strong sense of duty and honor and accomplishment and a strong sense of career. And she wants to earn that, that, those stripes. She wants to be recognized for her own merits, and she's very self-critical. So when the CIA comes and says, look, we want you for this mission, and she's thinking, oh, great, and then she learns it's to go get your ex-husband, she's basically offended, right? Like, hey, that's, you know, that's the most you think of me, and, and she's annoyed that, they're, that mm -hmm. they're using her personal life almost as a, as a tool to get this guy back on board. I don't blame her. I mean, she manages somehow, but yeah. Now, the guy that I had my um, doubts about is Rance. What is his role, and why do we get a feeling that I don't know about him? Yeah, well, I, well Rance is uh, the, the director. Of, he's Meredith's boss, and he's the, the department head for the counterproliferation division. And so he's a more senior executive. But like many more senior executives, you know, I'd say he, he he's lost his way a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. He doesn't have his hands on the wheel as much as he used to, and he's a little bit morally compromised, but still very much a uh, careerist. And so Rance's mm -hmm. driving motivation is really himself and getting to the next level. And he has a past with with John Dale because John Dale had worked for Rance at some point and questioned Rance's tactics. And so Rance is constantly in this situation where he wants to discredit both John and Meredith and, and, and in that way more or less stands in the way of the mission, though he doesn't really mean to, to thwart it actively. He simply wants to protect his own career. Yeah, I know. Now we have another interesting character. She's not good, people. We've got Genevieve. She's real smart. So who is she, and who are the members of the opposition, you know, the Russian side? And there's one guy that was really interesting. Yeah, the, so um, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to portray in the geopolitical sense the fact that the Russians mm -hmm. do actively meddle in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in affairs, um, between you know the U.S. and, and Iran, and so to to show that, and they also have a budding partnership. Russia has a budding partnership with Iran, and so I wanted to illustrate mm. that geopolitically and show that the Russians would be more than happy to to thwart anything the Americans were trying to do um, in Iran as a way to curry favor with Iran, almost in competition with China, who also wants to curry favor with Iran, and so. Mm. Um, they're, the the Russian uh, spy agency is called the SBR. That is the, not a lot of Americans have heard of the SBR, but it is the the successor to the KGB's foreign international wing. And so the the female character Genevieve um, is a or Russian name is Maria. She is uh, she is a spy, an illegal spy in the U.S. and she is basically sleeping with the guy we were just talking about, Rance and getting mm -hmm. information out of stuff and then passing that back to the SVR. And then what I tried to portray is how that happenstance might then infect the operations that are happening in the Middle East. And so I showed the director of the of Middle East area for the SVR, who's a major in Damascus, called Yuri Kuznetsov. And so together, Yuri Kuznetsov and this woman, Maria mm -hmm. Genevieve, 
they work together to uh, to stop the the Dales from from achieving their mission. He's interesting. Now another interesting character, the Deputy Dorsey. So he has the power to activate, reactivate um, John. But why was he not activated before? And where was he? But some people didn't want him reactivated. Yeah, there's a controversy around John um, when when he was a, a paramilitary operator in mm. Iraq, where they were on some missions that John felt were not right, that, that were not morally correct. Mm. And so because of that, John basically um, started pushing uh, for an investor, you know, a, an investigation into these things. And right around that time, um, he was captured and then and then escapes. Um, and it turns out he escapes with an Iranian person. And so they, the way the escape mm-hmm. went down, the CIA felt somewhat suspect and asked questions of John. And he got, he basically got very indignant about it. He had already been indignant mm-hmm. about the CIA. He felt that they were doing kind of the wrong thing. And, um, and so he, he uh, taking some offense, he was a little evasive in his answers, and they therefore suspended him, and he, he more or less said, fine, go ahead, suspend me. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And so Dorsey, who's uh, the head of the clandestine services at CIA, um, had, yes, has the power to do, he's the guy that runs the operations, and so he knows that John is critical. So he doesn't want to reactivate John, but he's going to do what he has to do in order to get to get that Iranian uh, Zana to cooperate. Now this was interesting. How did you create Zana's name, Cerebrus, for the asset, and they had to do what he said? And he tell us about him and why he turned. We know why he turned. But how did you create that name for him? Because that's what uh, they Cerberus? called him. Yes, yeah, Cerberus. yeah, Cerberus. Cer- well, um, I like the idea of using classical Greek names <laughs> as cryptonyms. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Cerberus is a two-headed dog that uh, stands, uh, I think, in front of the river Styx, right, and looks both ways into into hell and, and, and one away from hell. And so that was the idea was that, Zana is is looking in in both of those directions. That's interesting. Now, the character I have to tell you that I found my favorite, besides John and Meredith, I love Kasim. So, how how did you create him, and what what is his role? I really liked him a lot. Well, good, good. Yeah, he features very prominently in the second the second book in the series. But oh, good. I was wondering about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so um, Qasim um, is an officer in the Quds Force. And, again, I don't think necessarily a lot of Americans know what the Quds Force is. But Quds is a, is a, Farsi, word, is a Farsi word for Jerusalem. And the, mm-hmm. the Quds Force was established by a guy named Qasim Soleimani, a real-world guy. Um, and mm. it is, it's, you know, it, the Quds Force is basically set up to go around and create armies to overthrow countries and, uh, you know, rid, rid Israel from, from, uh, from, from over there and that kind of thing. And so um, Qasim is actually the, uh, the former adjutant to a real person, Qasim Soleimani. And his, his job is really um, to run Quds Force in that, in that region. But he, too, is a very much a careerist. And so the Russians know him. They've been working with him for a while. And the Russians contact him to sort of 
suggest that there might mm. be this operation going that they're hearing about from from Rance. And Cossum sees that as a career opportunity, as a, as a thing that he can come in and direct and run, and he's got the contacts to go back and do that. But he's really in it um, for himself. He's less of a ideological could mm -hmm. officer because he's lived – in European capitals, you know, he's kind of learned to enjoy the finer things. He was Ox he was educated at, at Oxford, so he's a rather special character and enjoys that that special status. And I think ultimately his ego sort of gets the better of him. Yeah, I know. I liked him though. There's something about him that you know you can't really tell which side he's on. You don't know where he's going to go, which is even better. So. Yeah, and that's, that's you... something I've been I've been doing a lot of in this in this in this second book is you know how how to, where is Cosmo's real allegiance? I was wondering that because I read I'm not going to give it away the last line of the book I go like okay that's good that lets me know there's going to be more. Yeah, because I think it would be just you know it's funny because the publisher sent me the book, then she they sent me a second one. And my UPS guy saw it, me carrying it in the hall, and he took it out of my hand. He's going to read it. Oh, good. So, good. Oh, I like yeah, that. He, he, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Wiz, Wiz likes books. So ever so often I get my books from him, and I have to trade him. He won't give me my books unless I give him some. And this one he wanted. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. <laughs> that. So how did you create the scenes? Well, these were really good with Rance and Maria. And does he ever realize he's being conned? Poor guy. No, he doesn't realize it until, you know, the final uh, about quarter yeah. of the book. Um, and so, Rance, I, I guess I have a, 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 as something of a theme is that people's egos often get the better of them. And that is certainly the case with Rance, um, who thinks he's getting away with having an affair, and he thinks he's been careful because he's checked everything out um, and so on, but he's but he's not. Mm. He's being targeted. And no, he doesn't realize it. He does. He does. And there is a scene early on where he gets caught accidentally having the affair, but the, mm. no one around them think that it has anything to do with spying. So he's told to stop it and he's told to ship off because they think it will mm -hmm. expose him to blackmail. But he thinks it's just an affair. He doesn't realize that he's being spied on. And she's having a fit because she can't get in touch with him. So that makes it even yeah. better. So Meredith learns the truth. So how come she keeps it to herself? And where is John? And you create, he gets home and he has this problem. How did you create the altercation when he arrives home? Because I got worried. I said, you can't kill him off. He just got there. Uh, well, well, Meredith doesn't know that... Uh, that Meredith had never seen Ranson, the the woman together um she mm. only knew that there was a russian person leading a team that was going around and chasing down you know john mm. right and john had seen her etc so meredith and that woman of course do finally um do, do finally collide uh and and you know john is always just basically one step ahead of her which is which is good, thank God. So yeah. this really bothered me because I was worried about Nadia because Zana said that if she that they don't give them the the travel stamps, so they gave 
um, why would they not give him the travel stamp? They gave it to her. And how does she finally get out? But he's, like, fuming. They're, they're keeping him back. Because his boyfriend yeah, because is somebody he, else. Yeah, that's because um, uh, he is so closely tied to the nuclear effort that they had going on, especially at that time when there was a, an important mm. conference with the Russians. So... So basically, Zana is indispensable to the Iranian to the mm. Iranian uranium nuclear enrichment um, process. But but you know that the Iranians I think are some, somewhat sympathetic to Zana because he's lost his daughter mm. in a tragic accident that they that the Iranians caused themselves, and so they're at least understanding enough to know that his wife is um, grieving. And so they give her travel stamps to go to India to go to, uh, you know, effectively a, a yoga retreat. And as it turns out, India is filled with um, Shia Muslims, and so it's not uncommon for Iranians to travel to India. Um, but they can't let Zana go because he's just needed. Well, he works for the for a different person that he who is not so safe either. That that guy, so he's got a problem too. So this this I found interesting. No, most people don't understand what is yellow cake, and what were the Russians really planning? You can't trust them. Yeah, yeah. Yellow cake is um, is the 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 material that is mined um, to extract uranium. So it's basically mm. dirt uh, that has uranium deposits in it, and then I believe it is boiled down through a chemical process to leach out the uranium. And once the uranium is extracted, then that it is in its natural form, which is which its atomic weight is 238. So it's called U238 on the periodic table. But if you can separate um, an, 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 an atom from it with a centrifuge, uh, basically you put it into gas and you use a centrifuge and you, you, you separate an ion, then it becomes U235. And U-235 mm. is, of, is, has, is of such a quality that it can then become um, fissile. And, and if you bombard it with force, it can set off a chain reaction. So uranium enrichment, whenever you hear about that on the news, is about people getting uranium naturally, which comes in as, as, as yellow cake, then, then being separated to form U-238, and then going through a centrifuge to become U-235. And once you begin... Um, uh, enriching that U-235, you can mm. get it to to such a place that there's a difference between low enriched uranium, so it's like maybe only a small portion of it is U-235, and then um, highly enriched uranium where it's where it's mostly U-235. Uh, and so so that 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 yellow cake is just more or less the start of that process. That's scary. Is it very ra- and it's radioactive? That would be even scarier. Go ahead. Yeah, it's certainly radioactive once it gets down to that form, yeah. Oh, God. So these were interesting. Who were the 12th Iman, and what was their their goal? I mean, there's more people involved in this than ever. (laughs) Well, the 12th Imam is um, a a belief by a a really hardcore sect of Mm. Shia Muslims. Um, you know, in Iran, and, and many of these folks have been in the Iranian government as hardliners, and they believe that there is a 
twelfth, what they call a twelfth imam, and an imam is a like a, a holy man, like a like a, a priest, a kind of combination between a priest and a saint, I'd guess. And that this twelfth imam is actually, you know, been in hiding since you know, for for basically five hundred years. And when that twelfth imam comes out of hiding, uh, it is the mm. signal that it's the the end of days. Now. This is, uh, you know, very unfamiliar to us and, you know, our Judeo-Christian principles, et cetera. But that's what, uh, that's what the Twelfth Imam is. And so that would, people refer to um, folks that, that, that have those beliefs as Twelvers, and they tend to be the most uh, devout and radical um, of the uh, Iranians in the Islamic uh, Revolution. That's scary. So who is Putov? I don't like him either. <laughs> well, Budov's simply um, Yuri Kuznetsov's uh, deputy, uh, and so he's just a guy that's uh, always around um, helping out, more or less. Okay, now we have another guy that really creates a lot of problems, because not only does he create problems for Poisana, he creates problems for, for Rance, Javed. He's, he's no great great person either, his boss. No, J- J- what I wanted to show is Javad was a guy that would be fervent, um, kind of like a Twelver. And so, yeah, yeah. He's, Javad's, he's a Zana's immediate boss. And as I imagined it, um, the Iranians would have someone yeah. who is really devout ideologically in charge of people like scientists, even though they're not, you know, maybe great scientists themselves, they, they're there to make sure that, that people stay in line. So I wanted to have that tension between Zana and his boss Javad, who is more ideological. I don't like him at all. Then we come to another guy. The Iranians really want to play a very big role. So who is Vasily and who is Oleg? I don't like them either. Well, Oleg, I'm not sure about, but Vasily, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> well, I wanted to show um, folks from Russia that were, you know, mm. behind the scenes carrying out missions. There's this. Most people have heard of the commando group called Spetsnaz, and there's this group within Spetsnaz called Spetsnaz Alphas, and um, those are the guys that you know slip into countries in civilian clothes mm. and and do bad and do bad stuff. And so, for example, um, when Russia annexed the the Crimea in 2014, they slipped um, you know. Uh, several, I, I don't know how many, hundreds, thousands, Spetsnaz alphas uh, as civilians secretly into uh, into the Crimea to help to help take it over. So I so as I had this opposing force on the Russian side, I needed trigger pullers who were Spetsnaz alpha, and Vasily and Oleg are two of those guys. So now we come to the scene that was really scary but really amazing. Okay, Meredith gets kidnapped, but how did you create the scene between her and Maria or Genevieve? I was like, whoa, I was getting worried there. I said, wait a minute, he can't kill off the main character. That would that would really not be great. No, well, I, I wanted to show um, Meredith, I wanted to give her an opportunity to be tough, you know, and to mm-hmm. do something physical and for for the reader to feel both the fear that she might fear and also root for her and root for her courage mm-hmm. 
in standing up to um, in standing up to a really tough threat. And so that's <laughs> that was more or less the the genesis of that of that scene. I caught up and clapped and said, "Oh God!" I was getting worried. I go like, "Wait a minute! You can't you can't kill off the main character." One one of the authors actually did. And when I interviewed him in March, I was really upset because he, he killed off the, the main character's future husband. I was like, "Why did you do that?" Because well, I wanted. To, I was really not happy. Yeah, it's it's sort of like it's kind of killed, funny. Killed, killed, killed. I cried too. <laughs> yeah, it's um. You have to think about which characters you want to make sure survive um, for your yeah. next book. And in this, when I was going through the editing process, for example, my editor, he wanted to make sure that, that Rance, as an example, um, survived. Like he wasn't so damaged that he couldn't be used in the next book. And so I actually okay. made a few modifications to, to make it so that, you know, while, while Rance didn't perform admirably, he also, you know, he didn't die and he didn't, he wasn't so shamed that he would be fired, things like that. Are you bringing Xana back? Where's he gone? I like him though. Well, I don't. I don't know if I should tell you. <laughs> uh, I, I I would say he's not. He's not prominently featured. Okay. <laughs> no, I tend to not say anything to anybody. <laughs> I'm terrible. So, Xana was able to manipulate events. How did he have so much power? That's what really is so cool about somebody with power like that. You want to have it yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, I think knowledge is a precious thing, and um, the mm -hmm. there are only so many people at that level that can run something like a, a gas centrifuge array. And so, being a being a physicist and computer scientist, that's who Zana was. And so he had specialized knowledge and was important to that operation. And you have to think, too, that um, I didn't really bring this up much in this book, but, you know, the Israelis have been assassinating these Iranian scientists on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the, the, the centrifuge array that's depicted in the book is actually a secret array that's underground. And we know the Iranians have those. We know their trouble, mm -hmm. et cetera. But it makes Zana all the more indispensable because, you know, he needs to come and go from there somewhat in secret. Um, it's not like they can have thousands and thousands of these guys. There's only so many guys that are smart enough to know what they're doing, and there's not an endless supply of them. And so that, by its very nature, gives Zana that, that kind of power. That is really cool. How did you decide where this novel takes place? There's so many locations in this novel and why I mean I looked some of them up I said well some of them I never heard of some of them I did and I'm pretty good at that as an educator but so how did you decide where they where each, each scene takes place um well I, let's see it's about Iran right and so um there clearly there's 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 activities happening there and then there's activities around the Middle East surrounding Iran and so the Russians the Russian activities for that area of the world in terms of espionage really center in Damascus and to a lesser sense, to a lesser sense, um, Beirut. So I, I involved those. 
and then the Americans, I wanted to um, locate in a number of friendly countries, whether it was Dubai or Bahrain or other Gulf um, Arab states that are, that are more friendly to the U.S. So those are featured prominently. And then the, the, the one that um, is a little bit of a curveball is really India. And I, I, I brought in India because I've been there a couple times um, as mm. a businessman. And I just thought it is so kind of chaotic and exotic that a chase scene or something like that would be really mm. interesting there um, visually. And that it seemed plausible to me that if um, – if a if an American wanted to to extract, you know, an Iranian, that that Iranian could get to India because there's so many Shia Muslims there, and then that then the Ameri India is a very open country that's really hard to um, control. Yeah. There's not a lot of infrastructure, so it would be kind of an ideal place for something like an exfiltration. So that's why I had that one, and the rest of the countries are more or less adjacent to where the action is happening, like the train from. Turkey into Iran, um, for example. Mm. A lot of the authors are going to India and, and Turkey now. A lot of them. So I was, I'm impressed. A lot of them do. Um, and I wonder, I get worried when they, not so much Turkey, but India when they go to visit. As a matter of fact, my cousin wants to go there if she, if the pandemic ever ends. That's one of the countries she wants to see. I don't know. <laughs> so John has to get out and he has to do something. Tell us about the seals. And why he wasn't thrilled to have them as an active role, but he, how did he get get to work with them, and how come he got them and nobody else? Well, John had hoped to to exfiltrate off across the border quietly and silently, and yeah. uh, the seal te the seal teams were really being held in reserve in case anything went wrong, because you know no Ameri no senior American official would want to mm. actually invade a country and start a war, right? It's meant to be a very mm. quiet, low-intensity operation. But when John shows up at that border to try to get across, you know, he's interdicted by the Russians and by the other Iranians that are chasing him down. And so it becomes this pivotal moment where to save him, you know, the SEALs have to, have to launch into, into action to, to go get him. So that was the, that's the idea there. Now, Kasim plays even a bigger role in this. What else does he have to do? And, and who is Zoran? Um, I have the book in front of me. <laughs> um, Zoran, remind me, remind me, Zoran. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the book, and I just found him. He's in um, in the militia of some type. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. So, so uh, one of the things I wanted to depict was that there are the Kurds are an interesting group across the mm -hmm. Middle East because they're they strive for independence and so they fight against the governments of Turkey and they fight against um, the governments of Iran and they, they basically want an independent Kurd state and when Zana was escaping um, Iran it seemed plausible to me that one ally that he could use to help get out of the country would be the Kurds mm. that are not that are not friendly to Iran. So, so Zoran was a Kurd leader that Zana ended up approaching and worked with to get to get across the across the border. Now, before I forget, I have three more shows this month, and then I'm taking off the month of July. Finally, 
I am double booked, triple booked in August, September, October, and November, till the end of November. So if anybody out there has somebody coming out, you better tell me now because November's filling up and December is in. I have a few for February of 2023 already, which is amazing. So Monday, New York Times author Tess Gerenson takes the spotlight with her new book, Listen to Me, it's a Rizzolian Isles. On the 29th, Cindy McDonald, Double Dog Dare. And on the 30th, Rob Bates. He's making up the show because his wife had COVID. Uh, murder is not a girl's best friend. And I start back on August 2nd. I'm actually going to take the month off. It should be fun. I get to do more books. Maybe even write one. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. So this, this, is, this book really kept my interest. I couldn't, like, put it down at all. And how did you create the final scenes and the revelation? What happens to Rance? Well, not too much, tell him. The final scene I had in my mind from the beginning um, that it would be interesting to have three different forces, like the Russians, the Iranians, and the Americans, all converging on the same spot, all trying to, to you know, to get this, this person. Mm. And so that that was the, the scene I, um, I envisioned. And what I wanted to display was a little bit of the chaos of operations. So, so if you if you look at that scene, it stretches from the mm-hmm. Americans mm-hmm. in a in a forward operating base in eastern Iraq, uh, and and then the other people in Iran. And eventually, the Americans realize this is going to go mm. bad, and so they they you know launch their their uh, military forces to go to go take care of it, and I was I really wanted to per- try to portray the way each side might be thinking the wrong thing. Like they each one had limited mm-hmm. information and was drawing the wrong con- the wrong conclusion, such that they everything they were doing they were a little bit off, and um, that was something I I tried to show. And then in the end, you, you know, you can have a rev, you can have a revelation because they finally realize um, what what was happening. Now, before I forget, I can I forgot cannot answer this one. Ask this one, John and Meredith. What happens when they come face to face? Is their relationship going to change, or is he, she going to tell him to go take a hike again? Well, you saw the last line of the book. Um, <laughs> So I, I I'm not going to say what the last they, line says. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, a theme I was trying to, to the, a theme of John and Meredith's relationship is that while they're not still married and while they're not still technically um, romantic, they've mm-hmm. been linked by a long by a life together. You know, they share a daughter, they share a common understanding, and so I wanted to portray that idea that a bond between these people would transcend um, circumstance. And so Meredith's in a big hurry to really make sure nothing bad happens to John and, and John would, would be the same, would be the same way. And I liked kind of playing with the idea that Mm. Meredith, while she's there to do this mission for the U S and for the CIA, she's also really there to, to protect you know her ex-husband, so that's that was my thought process on those guys. So who who were the people of the seals that helped him? Was he disappointed in them? 
did they really come through to him, come through for him when he needed them? Oh, yeah, I don't think he was disappointed in them. I think he was happy they came through because he, he found himself, you know, surprised. So, so no, I don't think he was disappointed with them at all. Well, that that's good because, you know, he he didn't want them. He asked for everybody else, but but he seems to have a, a lot of power. So, Zana, I love Zana. What happens when Zana and John finally meet in person? Uh, that First of all, Zana and John, yes, they finally meet in person. Um, their relationship previously had been cloaked mm-hmm. in difficult secret communications, and so... John had only learned of Zana's actual identity, you know, pretty late mm-hmm. on in the in the book. So when he when he finally meets him face to face, I think he's just relieved that he's found this person that his mission has been to to go to go get, and that the, and that they've got him. I know that's it's amazing that he would you know that he that 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 they lasted so long. It mean that he got through. So. Who are you? I don't want to give away too much. But I'm going to ask some more questions about it. How did you decide to create this type of a plot? Had, I mean, I, I read the book and I'm going like I feel like I'm watching the news again, and what's happening in the Ukraine is is, hor- is horrible. And of course, Putin thinks that he's an innocent. He thinks he has. He's he doesn't even care. He's, he's justified to do anything he wants. It's, it's scary that they don't try him as a war criminal for what he's doing to these poor people. He just feels so justified. So how did you create, why did you decide on the Ukraine, and how did you, do, you know, you made it so realistic, I felt like I was living it. Well, good, I'm, I'm glad. I, I think I was, in, I, as a writer, I have been influenced by historical fiction, which is a genre I've always really loved. Um, and so some books like, say, uh, Winds of War or War and Remembrance, or Once an Eagle. Those are all kind of World War II books. But they're, while they explain what happened in history, the stories are told by people who are lower in the pecking order. And, and by seeing those kinds of people as they're in action, you as a reader feel like you've lived it a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and so when I wrote this book, I thought, well, it's not really historical fiction because it's closer to current events, or you might even call it very, very recent historical fiction. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of authors try to predict or do a what if scenario, you know, so, so I, you know, some people might try to write about, Oh, okay. uh, A Taiwan China war, you know, Mm -hmm. but that hasn't actually happened. And what I wanted to do was to write about a conflict that has actually happened and then create a fictional drama behind it where the reader could imagine, hey, yeah, maybe that is maybe that is how that really went down. And it's recent enough that the reader remembers it. You know, it's not a hundred years mm-hmm. ago. So that was that that's my thought process and that's just how I felt comfortable writing it. And I couldn't really tell you why. It's just it's just how it came out for me. It's funny because your book dealt with what happened with the, on that flight that was horrible, and um, Don Bentley wrote one also about the Ukraine, and somebody else. I'm going. And this is way before it even happened, 
I said, it's almost as if somebody was like psychic and said, oh, my God, this is going to really happen. And when it really does, it's like it hits you like, oh, my God, these books are going to be so so popular because everybody really wants to know something more about the Ukraine. So tell us a little bit about, there's another character in the book, Oleg. What part does he play? Well, Oleg is one of those Spetsnaz alphas, and I wanted to have at least one of those characters where you got to see a little bit more of his struggle and what mm. and what he was going through to impact the mission. Something that was important to me was trying to keep things realistic. And so, look, mm-hmm. while it's fiction and characters do things that, you know, that one character can do things that maybe in the real world it would take two or three people to do, um, I, I didn't want, I never wanted any of these folks to be like superheroes. And so I liked the idea of showing a guy like Oleg trying like heck to get across Iran to this place, you know, and having to drive kind of a crappy car and having to figure out where he was and having to, you know, be short of food and all those kinds of things to show that it's not easy for them either. And they're also very dedicated to their to their mission. That That's amazing. It's hard, you know, because if it's too... If, it ha- if everybody wins too fast or the main character gets what they want too fast, I go, like, that can't possibly happen. No, Nobody has ob- – if without obstacles and flaws, the story would not be real. Would not. So who is Dale and what part did he play? John Dale? Dale. Well, Dale is John Dale, the, the lead Dale, protagonist. Yeah, and, and you know, his, his – He's the one that has the special relationship with Zana and so has to go to Iran um, to get him. And John's condition is such that he doesn't want to work for the CIA anymore. He's found his niche. He's sort of retired early and, and pretty comfortable doing what he's doing and looking to put some peace back in his life. So when his ex-wife shows up and, and asks him to please come back and do this thing for her, He's extremely reluctant, um, but of course, then he's he himself is threatened somewhat inadvertently and almost has to jump into it as a, as a matter of um, as a matter of, of of saving everyone's everyone's bacon. How does he feel because she's sort of the handler and he has to stay in touch with her? She has to be able to get in touch with him, and sometimes she's having a fit because he doesn't answer. So how does she deal yeah, with he, that? That's hard. Yeah, and that's tension in their relationship is is the fact that she's kind of a company person and relies on official communication channels, and mm. her ex-husband John is simply not like that and and doesn't want to do those kinds of things, and so he doesn't trust, and because he doesn't trust, he um, that drives that drives Meredith a little bit crazy. Well, how come they split up to start with? Because John had spent a lot of time in um, paramilitary operations in Iraq, and that had and, and then had gotten captured and escaped and questioned, and he effectively had mm. a fair amount of rage at the system, mm. and that was something that that he was ha- having a hard time overcoming, and she she got she got tired of it and didn't want to deal with it anymore, and so asked him for a divorce. 
Does she ever worry about the safety of her daughter, of their daughter? Do they ever worry that somebody's going to try to come after her because of them? Um, I, I think they would generally, uh, but they also uh, try to be very careful about not exposing their their family life. Um, there is, I, I would think that in modern technology and social media, that it would be nearly po- impossible to completely obscure mm-hmm. your, your family. And so I do have that come up a little bit mm-hmm. where, you know, the Russians basically find out who who the, who Meredith is um, by searching names and coming up with, you know, a daughter and, and tracing it back from there. But I also think there's, particularly with uh, the Russians, there is still a measure of professionalism mm-hmm. where I don't, I don't think it would make sense that they would just go and target the daughter. These are still professional intelligence agencies trying to run a mission, and it, it, it would seem to me that doing something like that would be a tactic that wouldn't go well. Now, you can see in another book um, where there's terrorists or folks that have mm-hmm. less, profe- less professional ethics where they would, they would certainly go and do that, but I didn't. I didn't want to introduce that in this book because I wanted this to be a a challenge, a struggle between professional intelligence agencies. I was also glad that you didn't bring in the President of the United States and everybody else. I just sort of kept it located in one area. Because so many books that I've been reading, they've been bringing in this one and that one. After a while, it doesn't become real. It's like, so what? That, it's like another another yeah. war. Uh, well, I'm glad you said that because um, when I set out to write this and started with a story outline and synopsis, something I was very deliberate about was to try to keep all of the characters down at a low enough level that they wouldn't be in the halls of power. You know, so they're they're acting out policy decisions certainly made by senior uh, senior politicians, but you know, I think it's very hard as an author to depict mm-hmm. the president of the United States. You know, few of, nobody's been the president of the United States, right? Whereas yeah, no. I think these, yeah, I think where I, I think these mid-level characters, you know, you can make them in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they've got kids at home or or money mm-hmm. problems or um, relationship issues, and that was really something that was important for me was to keep it. At, the, the characters at that level. Well, you did. Let me tell you. I'm telling you, the your publicist. First it was Peter, but Peter came second. There was somebody before Peter, and I was like, oh, this is great. And I get books all the time, and I never know what I'm getting. And sometimes it's like a pleasant surprise, and sometimes, like yesterday, it was a why am I reading this kind of book? Cause I have to interview the person, and it's like I couldn't yeah. put this down. And it's it's a lot. I have. I'm a speed reader. And my mom made me read 10 books a week, besides everything else I had to do, besides getting 100 on every test, so I had to write it over, seriously. So when I got this book, I just sat down and read it, and I couldn't put it down. And, of course, Eye Strain, it was worth it. Trust me, it was definitely worth it. So what's next, and who are you bringing back without giving away too much, especially the last line, can't tell them? Yeah, I, the, what's, what's next is if you think about where – the next book really picks up where this one left off. And okay. if you think about what happened there, 
Meredith is the central character, and she she has made a decision to keep um, Kasim, and to and Kasim has offered himself up as a spy, and so the next book like is really him. about the tension between Meredith and Kasim, as she realizes she can't trust him necessarily to spy, and then a few things happen that really put Meredith in in a bad in a bad position. Um, and so it's, it's that, it's that, it's that struggle, uh, that, that she runs that really goes into the next book. When is it coming out? So I have you in my schedule. I've been doing this for 12 years and I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it will be out in, we don't have an official date yet, but it should be May of 2023. They better send it to me so I get it so I can put it in my schedule because, I mean, in all the years that I've been doing this, I mean, Partners in Crime is the one that keeps me busy with their tours. They're, they're the best. There's nobody better than them. And I never have to worry about ever having a day to do anything. So, and then, and then of course, people, when Peter asked about you, I go, like, I don't have anything to November. And, and I don't normally do three shows in a week, but I couldn't resist this one ever. I couldn't. I said, okay, I'll do three this week. I actually did one on Monday with an FBI agent. We talked about gun violence, gun control regulations, and because I'm an educator for a million years, school safety and how they need to do better than to protect their kids in school. So that was was powerful on Monday, too, and this one I was looking forward to. So where can everybody get this one? And I can't wait to get the next one. Do you have a title for the next one? I do, but uh, I'll start with this one. So this, this, the book we've been discussing is called The Handler. It's available wherever you buy books. So obviously Amazon, Audible, Kindle, and your your local bookstores, Barnes and Noble, etc. Um, and my name is M. P. Woodward. So if you want to search for that, it's M. P. Woodward. And the next book, uh, yeah, I do have a title actually. It's called uh, Scorched Earth, and will be out Ooh, in, uh, next year. Well, I hope that I get it, because this has been the highlight of my day, let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I really I really appreciate it. Um, I don't know, do you do panel shows, too, or just, just do individual interviews? Uh, I, I have done panels as well, yeah. My topics for panels are different. Actually, I'm doing one in November, because um, kids are watching programs that are too violent, and as an educator, you know, video games and programs and all these video, uh, all these other things on television. So we're talking about how the how the uh, complex of television, complexion of television, has changed and made things more violent. That's one of my ideas for November. So thank you so much. This has been great. Everybody, everybody, have a great day. Please stay safe. Thank you so much for doing this. And bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.